in the books, and it was a fun one. Now we look ahead to week five and a eh, week that leaves a decent amount to be desired. Welcome in College Football News Podcast. I'm Nick Shepkowski alongside Pete Futek as we are each and every week. Recapping the week that was, looking ahead that the week will be, and all the storylines in between. PD, what's going on? It was an interesting week. You know, it, all the big boys pretty much dominated. It, it was what we thought it would be. We said that Notre Dame would keep it close and isn't good enough at college football to win a game like that. Uh, the the biggest of big boys blew everyone away. And the weekend ended with, I, I, I've seen a thing or two. I have never seen anything like that UCLA-Washington State game where it went from, oh, dear God, Chip Kelly is fired to one big kick return and all of a sudden 40-something points in 10 minutes. It was insane. Great nightcap for that. Fun day of games as well from it being Notre Dame-Georgia at night, the Michigan-Wisconsin game that we'll talk to Steve Greenberg from the Chicago Sun-Times with. And we'll go down memory lane for any Wisconsin fans and Big Ten fans that are out there. Get a good look at that conference here coming men up. Men of a certain Steve age. Greenberg. Wisconsin men of a certain age for this one. Yeah, because you guys claim to say that Wisconsin didn't used to be good at football, and I have trouble believing either of you on that part. And then it was just a good, fun day of games and a fun slate of games, and it's not so much the same case this week. What's your biggest takeaway, though, from any of the results that you saw, whether it's a team's win or a player's performance? What's the number one takeaway from this past weekend? And we still have this separation. We, we now know that we still have these six teams. We, it's Clemson, Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and who am I? Oh, Georgia. So now with Georgia beating Notre Dame, just cements them in that top six point. Notre Dame's a tick below. But Notre Dame played well enough where if you look at the rest of their schedule, if you think they can win at Michigan, all of a sudden there's not a lot there. They can run the table and make this sort of interesting the rest of the way. And then obviously what Wisconsin did to Michigan, I don't think I, we'll see going forward that certainly Wisconsin's not going to be this dominant the rest of the way. Uh, but all of a sudden the Badgers look like they're at least a contender to hang with Ohio State once, if not twice. Uh, and so now you've got a real separation between the haves and have nots. And the other part about all this is the fear that we had all off season between uh, saying, oh, it's just going to be a, a foregone conclusion. It's Alabama versus Clemson. Well, now, not really. I mean, look, are we shocked if, if it's LSU playing for the national title? No. Or if Ohio State wins it all, we wouldn't be that stunned. Now there's all these other contenders that make it look like, okay, Clemson and Alabama, game on. Yeah, that, that's the part of it to me is that it used to be, whether it was the Heisman Trophy being it's Trevor Lawrence's or it's Tua's and that's it, or it's only Alabama, it's only Clemson, and there's a huge separation. I, you could give, from what I've seen from Alabama so far this year, yes, they look great, and yes, they're dominating teams that don't belong Against in the same. Two. Yeah, exactly. South Carolina's your banner win so far this season. It doesn't matter whatsoever. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's like that hasn't been. I know you can only play who's on your schedule, so it's tough to hold them against it. But Get ready to say, by the way, get ready to say that for the next two months about Clemson. Oh, my God. I Well, get ready to say it for the rest the, the entire season for them because Texas A&M, a team that we talked up thinking this is might be a coming out party for them and a, a turning the corner season for them. They go out and lay another egg. That's one of my big takeaways, at least from the afternoon games on Saturday. 
yeah, and I'm an idiot for my offseason takes. And I'm thinking Texas A&M was going to be good. I did predict in the preseason that this is where Michigan loses. So I did predict that they would lose this game to Wisconsin, but not like this. And I know we'll get into that later with Steve, so uh, we'll save that for later. But, uh, yeah, in terms of the, the overall takeaways, again, now, if it let's say it is Alabama and Clemson at the end. Look at who they're going to have to fight through to get there. And it, either it's we're going to have some of the, one of these other two bunch of teams that are going to rise up and be a factor in this, or else it will be Alabama and Clemson. And to get there, they're going to have to run through the Georgias and the LSUs and the Oklahomas and Wisconsins of the world to, to get to a, fi- a national championship. And if that happens, and if we get those two in New Orleans on January 13th, they'll have done something epic to get there. Yeah, for sure about that. What's your takeaway from Notre Dame and Georgia? Georgia, not the prettiest of sorts in that game. Kirby Smart leaving some decisions that left me scratching my head. What's the grand takeaway from from Saturday night in Athens? I know Notre Dame fans don't like this way of thinking, but I almost got the sense that Kirby Smart's like, they can't beat us. So we're going to keep it conservative and we're not going to screw this up and we're going to assume that they don't have it until they almost did. And they it, it's the thing that's maddening. I know it drives Georgia fans crazy too is when they've got more talent than Notre Dame. They're better than Notre Dame and yet they just didn't go all out because they just played it safe and then they kept Notre Dame in the game and at the end they, they were a couple plays away from blowing it. Yeah, they're a couple plays away from blowing it, but Notre Dame made plays the whole first half to keep that a game. It's not just the final five minutes or so that goes into it. There's a reason it was still close that late. Yeah, they were like, they looked good, but that that's kind of the but that's the difference good. though. Offense didn't look good. Yeah, that, that's the problem, though, now. That, that's the problem with Notre Dame under Brian Kelly, and that's I know the argument's always, uh, we've had this discussion in past weeks, where, yeah, Notre Dame can play with this team, or they can play with them, and they can hang around, hang around, but they don't win those games. And there's a reason why Clemson is Clemson and Alabama is Alabama. The, reason, the elite of the elites play in these really tough and nasty games, and they win them. And that's the difference. It's you, you play it to go Herm Edwards. You play to win the game mm-hmm. and coming close is nice, but they just, they just always seem like they're one or two parts away from being really good. And they just didn't seem to have those one or two parts against Georgia. I would agree with that. It, it's, I think that you saw, I know that Jake Fromm's not going to be a Heisman finalist, but I thought you saw the difference of being a good quarterback. I think Ian Book's fine. He's not anything like amazing or earth shattering. And Jake Fromm, when he had to, he made great plays, made great throws, footballs right on the money. And he was as big a difference in that game as there was on the field for those two and teams. And that's arguably that. your difference. Look, look at the top six teams. Tua Tungaviola is going to be the number one draft pick. Trevor Lawrence is going to be a number one draft pick. Joe Burrow is playing like a Heisman winner and a top 15 overall draft pick. Jake Fromm is a top 15 overall draft pick. Uh, Jalen Hurts is going to win the Heisman this year. Uh, Justin Fields is playing great. There's your six teams. And then you got Ian Book, who's good. He's not that. Right. Like it, it's almost, and that was a big thing for college football for a long time of, okay, it, it, it's, you can win without having to have a quarterback or not having a great quarterback, whether it's the, the T Martin years at Tennessee or kind of Alabama won a national era. championship with Jake Coker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Any of those Alabama guys that won, won championships until Tua got here. Like those guys were all just kind of, yeah, that's a middle of the road guy. There's nothing AJ, special. AJ or McCarran, great about him. I still say if he gets his chance in the NFL, can do something. But okay. Well, keep right. holding it, on to that a decade later. 
Exactly, no doubt. Uh, but you're right. They, it, you've had these like the LSU national championships for what Matt Mock, uh, Matt Flynn. I mean, they just they just you you didn't need those guys in the past, and now they've all figured out. Well, if we can get that superstar quarterback, and they're not just getting superstar quarterbacks, they're getting epic talents at quarterback. He's Pete Futek. I'm Nick Shepkowski. Coming up, we're going to talk to Steve Greenberg from the Chicago Sun-Times. Go down a little bit of memory lane with Wisconsin fans. How much that program's changed. What turned that program around to be the powerhouse that it is now on the heels of its huge win over Michigan this week. The Power Five to come later on as well. Going to take a timeout after we come back and before we talk to Steve Greenberg about Wisconsin and part of the Big Ten. Crazy story on Monday afternoon for one of the premier college players at a non-Power 5 school. We'll get into that next on the College Football News Podcast with Nick Shepkowski and Pete Futek. Hey, do you like having action on the games you're watching? Would you rather donate to a great cause, though, than to your bookie? If so, check out scoresplit.com. At ScoreSplit, you can join a square pool or strip card for whatever game you're watching, all while benefiting your favorite local or national nonprofit group. Here's how it works. You pick a square, just like you do for any football game. And if the score matches up, you split the pot with a thankful organization. Easy as that. And here's the best part. You sign up for score split using promo code CFN, and they'll set you up with 10 bucks to get the fun started. Visit scoresplit.com or download the ScoreSplit app from the App Store or Google Play today. ScoreSplit, you can't win if you don't play. College Football News Podcast, Nick Shepkowski and Pete Futek with you. One of the strangest non-game day stories that I can remember in quite some time. It goes down on Monday afternoon, a saga that lasted, oh, I don't know, the better part of two or three hours. De'Ara King, starting quarterback on Houston, very talented player down there in year one of Dana Holgerson's run as the head coach of the Houston Cougars, announces that he's sitting out the rest of the year, not with the intent to transfer, but because he wants to redshirt and pick up the experience that way and gets to coach two years with his guy, Daniel Holgerson. Pete, what the hell is going on in Houston? Okay, if he wants to do that, it's interesting. Or he wants to be a free agent for Oklahoma. Uh, and if he does, it's okay. I I'm I was waiting for this, and I, it's going to be an interesting thing that goes forward. Is when you've got when you you've got a program like Oklahoma, for example, where you know if you are the starting quarterback there, you are going to put up a jillion yards. You're going to be a top NFL draft prospect, and you are going to work with Lincoln Riley. You want to work. I, Jalen Hurts was not a pro prospect at Alabama. He is now. So if you're a De'Ara King and you want to have that option, of course you get out now so you can maintain that uh, possibility of maybe going there and being the next Lincoln Riley starting quarterback. So I guess what just confuses me of it is just it happening mid-year. He's not getting benched. There's anything like that. It's just if it's he's a going business to, decision. It, it is. But he would still – what would he be like if he were to go out to the NFL draft this year? Like, how much is his stock going to rise? How much of a draft prospect would he be this season? Well, Baker Mayfield, I mean, he wasn't an, an NFL prospect. Uh, Kyler Murray was never an NFL prospect. Okay. Those guys were too short, too small, couldn't play. Jalen Hurts, again, not a. You, you saw him in Alabama, and you'd think, no chance. I, I wrote articles saying that the smart move would have been, hey, stay at Alabama, turn into a safety, a wide receiver, something that you could make a, a whole heck of a lot of money at the next level because you're not going to be one of the 32 starting quarterbacks. Uh, and now he's at Oklahoma, and he looks like a possible top five overall draft pick. 
Yeah, that's the way Jalen. The, the Jalen Hurts thing, I still can't believe. Like that's the one that def, like defies logic to me. The Kyler Murray thing was fun and obviously insane, and and was awesome to watch for anyone that enjoys offense last year. Like this is absurd though, because that's a different guy. You can't convince me that's the same guy that su- suited up for the Crimson and White. Just, just to see. Well, and that's the argument for Derek King. And so, but on a, on a theoretical, philosophical level, and this is where you're going to hear a lot of screaming, yelling, and hand wringing, and our angst going forward, is that oh gosh, look at this, he's quitting on his team. It's a, it's a valid argument in both ways. Where if you want to, if you want to have an NFL career, you got to think about yourself. And just like I've always said, if you are an NFL top pro prospect, you don't play one more down of college football than you absolutely have to. We saw that last year with Nick Bosa. You're seeing it now when it comes to bowl games. And you're going to start to see this now when it comes to players saying, wait a minute, if I want to be able to play somewhere else like for this in this offense, uh, then, yeah, you absolutely do that. Okay, so if it's not Oklahoma then next year where he goes, Derek King goes, Where's the other potential landing spots if he's to transfer? If it's not Texas, maybe, if Sam Ellinger is, is done. I, I, I'm embarrassing to say I'm not sure if he's a true sophomore, and I can't remember. I don't think he is. So if he ends up going or else – but even more than that, it keeps your options open. Like, who knows? Maybe he wants to go to Alabama. You know, maybe he wants to go to any, you know, some program is out there that needs a uh, a starting quarterback and could rise up and be in the right system. But it, again, it leaves all options on the table if you have that extra year of eligibility. Yeah, it's just an all-time strange story. And then one of his teammates comes out and one of the receivers says that he's going to do the same thing today when they release their press releases uh, at the University of Houston. It's all-time bizarre. I I have no problem with it. I mean, college players, you could sit here and yell scholarships and what they're afforded. All you want, I it, you have a certain window in your life where you're able to make that money when you're a professional athlete or an athlete in any case, and they should be able to, to to capitalize that in any way, shape, or form possible. Pete, more to come here on the College Football News Podcast, the Power Five still to get to, and uh, Steve Greenberg to talk some Wisconsin and Michigan as well. in Wisconsin this past weekend is the Badgers all over Michigan 35-14 to and it wasn't as close as the score indicated. Two guys that claim Wisconsin football wasn't good at one point. I'd have trouble believing them. My first memories of Wisconsin are winning a Rose Bowl in 1993 or so. Pete Futek, who I'm with all the time. Steve Greenberg writes college football for the Chicago Sun-Times. Both of them with me now on the College Football Podcast. What's up, gentlemen? We're doing all right. Wisconsin won. We got Steve Greenberg on. We're a little talking Badger football here. It's 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 a crazy weekend for guys like Steve and I because we still remember the other day. I have known him now for almost 30-something years. It's just crazy. When we were first there, when I first met him uh, in college, it was, I believe, 1988-ish, 89-ish. And this is when they had a guy, Don Morton, who they brought in from Tulsa to run this thing called the Veer Offense. And when I say Wisconsin football used to be literally the worst football program in college football, it, it was by the Sagarin rankings and all that. Yeah, it actually sort of was. And for Wisconsin to go from that, where the basketball program was awful, 
where the football program was just ridiculous to now where it's just this annual thing with this crazy identity uh, on the football side of things where just every year they just power drive everyone with this offensive line. They're a factory for running backs, and they've created this identity. 30 years ago when, when Steve and I were writing sports and doing stuff with the Badger World, Badger Herald, uh, and creating Varsity Magazine and things, we would have never, ever thought Badger Athletics would be at this point at this Listen to me on this, if I can have a second. When when Pete and I were there, Pete, go ahead and guess. You know what their four-year record was when we were there? Uh, it was really bad because they didn't start winning till 93, so I'm going to say they won maybe 10 games in the four years I was there. Right, 9-35. and 35. Uh, the, the fourth and final season, which was Barry Alvarez's second, they were 5-6. and six. So they were 4-29 and 29 before that. And by the way, 24 and 48 in uh, Big Ten play in basketball, so abjectly awful in, in basketball too. But 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 that first Badgers football team when when we were freshmen, uh, 1988. Try to try to fathom it, Nick. It was a long time ago, my friend. <laughs> One in ten. Nine offensive touchdowns scored all year. Nine. And guess who was fourth on the team with 12 receptions? Pete, who was 12th on the team with 12? Sorry, 12 I, receptions. Four I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out there, take the guess that it was Troy Vincent coming over from the defensive side. It was Paul Chris. Nice. It was Paul Chris, who was there as I guess as a quarterback. But when you look at the skills, anyway, let's let's just let's just agree uh, that it was uh, the Kansas. You well, know, do you remember the, the big the big thing about that year? I remember going before the game. They played Miami, and I believe they scored a field goal first. And they were up 3 nothing. and I was like, wow, they're up 3 nothing on Miami. And then they got hit for like 58 straight points after it. Yeah, I bet a guy from L.A. in my dorm before that game, I said, sure, I'll give you a 50-to-1 odd. Uh, give me Miami, you can have Wisconsin. This is about ten bucks, fifty to one. Wisconsin wins. I'll, I'll give you five hundred. Now, I didn't have five hundred anywhere. I didn't have one hundred, but it was certainly an impossibility back then that Wisconsin was going to go go to Miami and beat those Canes. And last anecdote, sorry to do this, but you'll laugh because it was sometime during college, maybe sophomore year. The Badgers played in East Lansing. I was part of a group when Wisconsin kicked a field goal in the fourth quarter, inexplicably. To cut to cut the deficit to something along the lines of forty-two to three, we rushed the goalpost. There's about about eight of us. We rushed. Uh, we were slow. I don't know that we really got home on that rush, but we took we got onto the field because Spartan Stadium. You're right there, and we ran for the goalpost because Wisconsin kicked a field goal. It, so it, that's the way it was then. It's absurd to me. And you mentioned the eight touchdowns or nine touchdowns all year. I does Northwestern crack that this season? Yeah, nice. Good uh, maybe not. I don't think they do. It, but it's it, it's crazy that like now Northwestern has an identity that under Pat Fitzgerald that they just are they're able they they're not able to get the talents. They're not able to get the guys, and that was kind of the way it used to be under Wisconsin. When so when Barry Alvarez took over, there's all these legendary stories about his first few practices where he uh, he kind of Jimmy Johnsoned up and said, you know what, none of you guys are any good. None of you guys are going to be here when we are good. I don't. care. 
care if you stay. And they, he ran them to death. These guys were just vomiting all over the place. Half the team quit. And they were so bad early on under Alvarez. But he created a new identity. He said, we are going to run the ball. We're going to be physical. And we're going to do everything tough guy and right, which meant you know, limit the penalties, limit the turnovers, control the time of possession. And if they haven't been able to do that for the last 25 years, and then to fast forward it to this year, how do you kind of know that Wisconsin is back to being Wisconsin this year as opposed to last year? They're number one in the country in third down conversions. They're number one in time of possession. They're number one in all these categories that fit their formula that have really been able to make Wisconsin football Wisconsin football. You know, there's something about this Wisconsin team that troubles me. Um, maybe I'm looking for something to be troubled by. It's possible. Um, but, you know, I recall, uh, and, 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 and mind you, Jonathan Taylor, Pete, Wisconsin's had Ron Dane, you know, Heisman winner, Monte Ball, record breaker, uh, Melvin Gordon, you know, superhuman talent. I think Taylor's the best of them all. I don't know where you stand on Even that. more than Ron Dane? Yes, I think he's the most talented. Dane, Dane was okay. a different animal. He, he, he was. was just but, 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 but even big Dane, dude. Even Dane, and, and, and certainly other guys since, have famously had prolific backups. Okay? They are so dependent on Taylor, I don't think they have anybody behind him. And that could rear its ugly head uh, because the difference between – him running the ball, and Nikia Watson. You know, Garrett Groshek, Groshek's a, a, a seems to be a nice ball carrier. But there's a giant drop-off. You don't know who that next guy is. And, and it might have been Bradrick Shaw, but he had the ACL injury, and he does not appear to be a big part of the uh, offense. So I just am not sure. I mean, of course, Taylor's been a workhorse and just about the toughest dude on the field anyway. So maybe he's fine. But if he does miss a game, miss a couple games, miss a, a half or a key series even, could be trouble because, you know, in college football in 2019, if your quarterback can't be a big part of the running game, and, and it's not that Jack Cohn's completely immobile, but he's not going to be a big part of the running game, then you really do uh, miss, a, miss a, an ingredient that uh, a lot of the best, you know, Heisman-type offenses are led by, the dual threat. Uh, the guy with the ball the most. So they're so overly dependent on the running back and on one running back that it's just a little bit out of character uh, for a classic Wisconsin kind of offense. Uh, That's a nitpick because Taylor's so good. Well, here's the one big difference that I see is that I, you, and you kind of pointed this out on Saturday when we were going back and forth. Other than Russell Wilson, have they had a quarterback who could make that one throw, that fourth down throw to Quintez Cephas? They just haven't had that. And the crazy part so far for Wisconsin, I know it's just three games in, they only played, you know, one decent team. I think there's something crazy like fifth in the nothing in passing efficiency. I think Cone's averaging, or he's hitting like 78% of his pass completion percentage I mean he's hitting his passes and yeah the running back backup situation is a little bit painful but I don't ever remember the Badgers having this talent at receiver they probably have more good receivers than they've had in any other year I don't know if they have any great ones Quintez Cephas is potentially a home run hitter the other guys are all yes they're absolutely nice and really similar pieces AJ Taylor Danny Davis Kendrick Pryor um, they're quick. They've got 
they catch the ball. And, you know, especially uh, a couple of them have really had, you know, noses for the end zone. You think back to a couple of years ago, think back to a bowl win over Miami and um, making Alex Hornerbrook look good, look maybe better than he really was. So, yes, you're right, Pete. They have a lot of offensive pieces. Uh, I think their offense is, is, is clearly the strength, whereas, you know, a couple of years ago you'd, you, you knew you could count on that defense. Right now the, the defense statistically is unreal, right? Best defense in the country by the numbers. But um, that's got to really bear it out to me because I always worry about the Badgers' speed. You know, it, it gets revealed at times, and uh, needless to say, you know, a matchup like Ohio State is a time uh, when you get tested in that regard. And uh, I just wonder, I, I, this Zach Bond, whoa, does he jump off the screen? I mean, he can fly, and he's a great pass rusher. I think he's going to have a really, really big uh, impact on that defense, but I don't, know if, I don't know about the other guys yet. So I'm still waiting to see how that goes. Needless to say, they, they passed the test against Michigan, and that was big. But, um, yeah, to your, to your point, the thing up. that kind of freaks me out about this Badger team is I'm always afraid of the teams that can throw pretty well. And uh, I know South Florida stunk it up, and that got to be really ugly fast. But they also dropped something like four passes within the first two drives, and then it just got, went off the rails from there. And then with, when Michigan finally woke up and realized they have NFL receivers to throw to, the passing game started to work a little bit. And that's always the problem with Wisconsin is can it keep up when the, you have an offense that can bomb away like that and to your point about Ohio State to the Big Ten Championship game a couple years ago when they were getting their doors blown off by all that speed and athleticism and somehow they just found their way back I'm always kind of amazed at the way Wisconsin it doesn't matter if they play these really fast teams you know like Miami or Ohio State or whatever they always seem to find their way back into these games yeah that's true they've they've done it in in bowl games past you think of uh Auburn, you know, for example, when 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 Alvarez yep. coached, um, so yeah, that's true, that's true. I, um, but it is nevertheless, it's the it's what separates Wisconsin from Ohio State. You know, everybody is. It's arguably what separates Wisconsin from Penn State. You know, uh, is that just uh, talent in numbers or athleticism in numbers? But but uh, anyway. Really good team, really promising team. It's fun. It's a lot more fun than 88 when it comes to watching football. And I've never figured, been able to quite figure out why others don't copy this. Like, why doesn't Minnesota, for yeah. example, and I guess they're kind of trying to under P.J. Fleck a little bit, just go after these big, giant offensive linemen, have a great line, but and then great backs behind them, and just pound the ball and just use the same exact formula. And for whatever reason, other programs haven't been able to replicate this. I've never been able to figure that out. And I've never quite been able to figure out when it comes to Wisconsin how they don't get the number one running back recruit in the country. They just, they, they're they always in the mix. Whenever you name a Najee Harris or uh, Cam Akers or any of these type of top you know, five-star recruit backs, that Wisconsin's always on the list and then they don't go there for whatever reason uh, and with this pedigree like you said you listed off all these great running backs you know if you're the guy for wisconsin you're going to be running for 2,000 yards every year in the heisman race and all that and they've just never been able to kind of get that even even jonathan taylor it was kind of rutgers or wisconsin they've never really been able to get that five-star guy except for dane yeah all their 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 best guys have been uh Swings and, and and huge huge hits at at players who uh, Monte Ball right and uh, 
Brent Moss, <laughs> Terrell Fletcher, you know, that goes back a ways, but Melvin Gordon. So yeah, it's, that, that's true. But you're right. If you're a running back, um, you know, you're going to be prolific if you're that good and you go to Wisconsin and that you're going to be more typically, you're going to be protected because there are going to be two, three running backs who play. Uh, and the I, other key yeah, part is now Taylor, that Melvin Gordon's you... success at in, at in the NFL, I think it's been a huge thing because there was always that kind of knock that, all right, well, Wisconsin backs are just uh, uh, the system backs and they get worn out, they get beaten up. And then now Melvin Gordon goes off as a star and it shows that, yeah, I guess these guys can actually sort of play at the next level. James White, too. Uh, how you know, Who would ever imagine that a Badger running back would be the ultimate third down specialist and receiver? Uh, but these backs are starting to make it at the next level. Yeah, and Fletcher, this you know again goes back a ways, but goes back to the '90s. But he had a great long NFL career, and he was the number two back at Wisconsin, as James White was uh, to uh, to Monte Ball. So um, yeah, that that uh, and 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 I think it makes a difference too who the quarterback is. You know, a, a Russell Wilson only one year. Maybe if he would have. You know, if you had a Russell Wilson there for a few, it might have changed the course too at the kind of players they they can recruit. Um, so we'll you know we'll see if, if Graham Mertz, for example, becomes that kind of figure in the program in the next couple of years uh, as well. So what's the difference this year for Wisconsin? It seems like they had a ton of the same talent. Is it just experience? Why is it so much more seemingly going to be successful than 2018 was? Well, they had the, didn't they have the toughest pretty much toughest schedule in the country last year. And wasn't that part of it, Pete? After the first part, I, I, wait, they, they lost to BYU. They, they just didn't seem to have it. They just, in my thought is that they just seem to have the same sort of drive or mojo, whatever reason that team just didn't gel. And again, it goes back to, they didn't do the things that make Wisconsin, Wisconsin was, you know, they didn't control the time of possession. They didn't, they weren't getting into the backfield enough. They weren't creating turnovers. They just, and now that's the thing about this year's team. It just seems so different as they're kind of back to that 2017 form uh, of doing what they do. There's just certain programs like, you know, Kansas state, for example, like when under Bill Snyder, they used to know that when Kansas Kansas State was good. They were dominating on special teams in times of possession, and that's kind of with, with Wisconsin. Is now they seem to be back to doing that for whatever reason. But they, but it's it's you know there there was a, a stretch when you could count on Wisconsin to have one or two defensive linemen who could really dominate games. Uh, sometimes it was pass rushing linebackers, and then the numbers got to two, three, four guys who were you know who were uh, at that all conference level. So with the exception of like Andrew Van Ginkle, he's in the NFL somewhere, I forget where, uh, he was a big play linebacker. He'd make an interception. He'd block a kick. You know, he would show up at big times. I don't know if, if you know, he was necessarily that, 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 that mold setter uh, athletically. But this Zach Bond this year looks to me like that kind of player who can, who can you know, be your, your Joe Schobert level contributor. Uh, and, uh, you know what, uh, it's poor, they man. need guys like that. You, you, you have to have that. And last year they just plain, you know, they really didn't. And, um, still waiting for their next JJ Watt, you know, not <laughs> just JJ, but the Watt brothers. But you know, that, that was, uh, that was such a, uh, a keep. I mean, Wisconsin's identity is all tied into their running backs and big fat offensive linemen. And, uh, and that's what everybody and jump around before the fourth quarter. But they had great defensive linemen for a while. They need to get back to that. 
hey, maybe maybe this year we'll uh, we'll see some guys at the end on on all Big Ten lists, all American lists. Uh, but they've got to really uh, they've got to prove it over the course of a season, and and you know. Iowa game, Ohio State, Michigan State, Nebraska, those four in some order or another are, are I think it all starts with Northwestern. I mean, it's five straight games they could, that, uh, you know, are, are almost toss-up games. I, I think those. Northwestern's not a toss-up. To they're yeah, awful. You might think they're going to win five. But they've lost three of five to Northwestern. And if Northwestern flips the switch as it is inexplicably done and pulls an upset, they're, they're first of all, way better on the road than they are at home uh, over over the course of, you know, Fitzgerald's career. So I think uh, it's a dangerous game. And then they get more dangerous from there. Michigan State at Ohio State versus Iowa at Nebraska. Those are all, you know, those are all. That's Steve Greenberg from the Chicago Sun-Times. Have more to come with him later on this week. We'll release that episode later on this week where we get from the Wisconsin side of things to the rest of the Big Ten. Michigan fallout. Can anyone catch Ohio State? Nebraska? Are they coming around or are they not? So many other things in the conference as well. Minnesota, Purdue, pretty much everyone in the Big Ten touchdown in at least some degree with Steve. So we'll release that later on this week, but keep it going in this episode as it's Nick Shepkowski and Pete Futek on the College Football News Podcast. Pete has been in my ear about something for, oh, I don't know, forever as long as I've known him or at least talked college football with him Pete based off of something that happened in Pittsburgh this past weekend as UCF's title dreams and college football playoff dreams came crashing down Mr. Elitist Pete Futek are you happy now well it's not about being happy my, my problem with this is they were never in the national championship picture to begin with and it's a lie that everyone was telling UCF well if you beat Pitt you're going to be in this thing and they just weren't going to be. But the reason why this is a big deal is to kind of take this into historical context when it comes to what UCF really is. Like, So how many pro- times has the program come up with two straight wins over Power 5 teams in the same season? It's never done it. A team like, for example, South Florida, it did it last year early on. So the, this idea that UC, UCF has been able to like, oh, they can hang with anybody, beat everybody, they absolutely can. They can beat anybody on a one-shot basis, but it's about the daily, it's about the weekly grind of a Power 5 conference. And so now with this loss to Pitt, all-time versus Power 5 schools and Big E schools from back in the regular season – UCF is now 7-53 and 53 all time. So you're trying to figure out a perception problem. Well, winning seven Power 5 games in one regular season doesn't even get you to the college football playoff you know, discussion, much less over a span of 23 years. They've never beaten two Power 5 schools in the same regular season. And it's losing yeah. to Pitt. You know, it's not like losing or even hanging around with an Ohio State or a Georgia or an Alabama. And, and that was the whole point. That was the argument over the last two years when it came to UCF is, yeah, you can beat a really big team, but, okay, you beat Stanford. Now go on the road and beat Pitt. Now go on the road and beat someone else, another Power 5 caliber team. And so far, they haven't been able to do that in the history of UCF football. And until they get into a Power 5 conference, in which I believe they should, if I'm the Big 12, you're crazy not to go take UCF right now, make them another TCU, or do what Utah did going to the Pac-12. That is a sleeping giant of a program with a massive, obviously rabid fan base, perfect recruiting, great area. You want to be in Orlando. You got the TV market. I think it's the perfect program 
program to expand with. But until that happens, nah, these group of five programs and a UCF is are not going to be in the college football playoff system. It's not my fault. I'm just telling what the deal is when it comes to the college football playoff committee and how they think of these things. So then... Like if you were to insert what Boise State did eight nine years ago and put them in today and say they go on a similar run or they go undefeated this season, same case for them. Who's your who's your who are you kicking out? So in order for this to work, you need at least two Power Five conference champions with at least two losses or more. And this year, when you've got the Alabamas, you've got Clemson, you're gonna have three SEC teams at least, which you can argue are among the four best teams in college football. Where's the room for them? Mm-hmm. You know, where and when you're playing, a, okay, fine, playing Cincinnati is cute. Well, you got your doors blown off by Ohio State. You know, what are you gonna be? Houston in the American Athletic Conference championship? Memphis? You know, it just it's not the same as playing a Power Five conference schedule each and every year yeah I know I fully agree with that part of it and I think that's part of you you hear the okay well they beat one good team okay congratulations you beat them one time you you didn't do it week in week out the wear and tear that that takes on you game planning wise and everything there he's Pete Futek I'm Nick Shepkowski we wrap up this edition of the college football news podcast as our power five comes your way next do you like to have a little action on the games you're watching And would you rather donate to a great, worthy cause than your bookie Jim who lives down the hallway and you slide an envelope full of money under the door of every Tuesday morning? Well, if you would rather donate to that great cause, check out scoresplit.com. Glad to have these guys aboard this year. At ScoreSplit, you can join a square pool or strip card for whatever game you're watching, all while benefiting your favorite local or national nonprofit group. Here's how it works. You pick a square, and if the square score matches up, you split the pot with a very thankful organization. Easy as that. Here's the best part. Sign up, score split, you go there to do so. Use the promo code CFN. They'll set you up with 10 bucks to get the fun started. You do it by going to scoresplit.com or download the score split app from the App Store or Google Play today. Score split, you can't win if you don't play. Time to wrap up the show like we do each and every week. Time for the Power 5 on the College Football News Podcast. A quick look at one thing in particular with each of the Power 5 conferences. We start in the ACC where if you're looking for something to be impressive, if it doesn't involve Clemson this weekend, then it probably didn't happen. Besides what a Pitt. lousy conference. I mean, it just is. Outside of Clemson, I mean, Old Dominion pushes Virginia to the limit. North uh, North Carolina loses to Appalachian State. Miami struggles against the Central Michigan team that got destroyed by Wisconsin. It, it's it's just Clemson and everybody else. Yeah, the Virginia game, I think that was the old look ahead. But still, it's not an excuse to go look out as awful as they looked for a good half there, trailing by 11 points at halftime against Old Damn Dominion. Hey, Shep, later this week when we talk uh, predictions, watch out Virginia and Notre Dame. I, I, I told you. I told you a long time ago. Uh-huh. That's a game that scares the absolute living hell out of me. As it should. As a Notre Dame fan, the old look ahead and the look back thing, it's it. it it, it scares me. I'll share that with you guys later on this week, though. Big Ten, a game that I watched closely this past weekend, Michigan State Ugh. at Northwestern. And my goodness, I watched it so you didn't have to. Nonetheless, that Michigan State defense, even better than advertised. And Northwestern's awful. Oh, Hunter God. Hunter Johnson is bad. 
And I don't know what it is. I don't know why Northwestern's doing this. They're not hitting half their passes. There's no downfield passing game. Michigan State's defense is good. And I know Northwestern's played Stanford's defense back when it was Stanford's defense. Uh, and Michigan State's defense might be the best in the country. But Northwestern now gets to play Wisconsin. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's going to be a problem. Uh, pretty much everyone on Northwestern schedule the rest of the way that's not UMass. You can say that's a problematic matchup. When they come home finally in the middle of October and walk Illinois, to Ohio State. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I'll i let you talk on Illinois and be excited about them <laughs> to some degree, but let's not, let's not get too crazy about things. My goodness. Yeah, it's not that big of a shocking loss when you give up 250 more yards of offense or whatever they did in Nebraska last week. Big 12, Texas and Oklahoma State, a fun game, high-scoring game like you would expect with those two teams. Texas's path, if they go unbeaten the rest of the way, they have the home loss against LSU, obviously – that would mean they beat Oklahoma a couple of times, most likely in the Big 12 championship included. Do they still have a strong case to get to the college football playoff or will there be a better one loss team out there than them? I, I love how nationally when it comes to just everybody, oh, you lost a game, it's over. You know, Michigan, it's over. What well, it might be, sure, Oregon, Oregon it's over. No, this, the formula still holds. If you go 12-1 and one and you win your Power 5 Conference Championship, you're almost certainly getting in this thing. And if Texas ends up beating Oklahoma twice, and as long as LSU is still pretty good, then, yeah, they got a shot to get in the college football playoff. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but certainly they, they're not playing any defense. But with that offense, yeah, they can, they can have a whole lot of fun in the Big 12. Yeah, and looking at the Texas thing, to me, if you beat Oklahoma twice the way Oklahoma looks right now, a one-loss Texas team would look pretty damn hard to take out of the college football playoff. SEC, Florida, a team that you're high on this year, they whop Tennessee this past week. Does that count as a full win in the SEC still when you beat Tennessee? What was funny is if you listen to the pregame shows and listen to talking heads across the board, Tennessee was like, oh, they got nothing to lose. Watch out for them to rise up against a Florida team. You know, not a chance. It just, that was not going to happen. That defense is good. Tennessee is that bad. And I, I, Florida's just going to be one of those teams. If you look at its schedule, if they split between Georgia and LSU, they're going to be right in the mix for very, very, very big things. I don't know who else they lose to in the, in the SEC East this year. Um, I Z Z O U. That's a good team. They got him last year, though, and that's, that's going to be one of a revenge game. But yeah, I do like this Mizzou team too. Pac-12, USC. They go. The conference goes. USC was going to change their plans and they force their way out and getting out of the the whole thing under. God bless it. I forget. The, Clay Helton. Who's the damn athletic director? That Lynn Swan. Swan. Jesus. Okay, I'm matching. <laughs> God, I'm watching the Bears game, and I can't think of Lynn Swan's name. All right, I'll start that. Pac-12, they go how USC goes is how many people see it. A change of plans at Troy. Lynn Swan was out. It seemed like Clay Helton was sure to be next. But after an upset of number 10 Utah, they're in the driver's seat of the Pac-12 South. Can you fire a coach? who takes you to a conference championship game when the expectation going into the year was significantly less than that. 
especially when you've got such a young team. There's some crazy stat that's like eight of their top nine tacklers are underclassmen, and then like 11 of their top 14 guys are. They're young on offense. They've got they haven't had great recruiting classes, but there's enough coming in. So yeah, I don't know if you do that, but if you can get Urban Meyer, then it doesn't matter what they do from here on out. Uh, however, yeah, the USC played great. They seem to find a way. And worst of all about this game, I hate it when my stupid theories work because it is a lazy, dumb analysis that I had that said, you know what? USC is going to win this game. Why? Because Utah has not won in LA against USC since 1913. And sure enough, never (laughs) mess with the streak when it comes to the college football gods. Yeah, don't do that. And with USC, Utah, that was a game that because it's on Friday night, it doesn't get the same hype train that it would have had it been on Saturday or had it been played at 9 o'clock on Saturday night. That was maybe outside of Notre Dame, Georgia, and, of course, the craziness at the end of the night with Wazoo and UCLA. Like, that game, they were beating the absolute piss out of each other just up and down the field. That was one of the most enjoyable watches I've had college football-wise here four weeks in. That was as brutal a game as you'll see. That Those two teams, that was anti-Pac-12, at least in terms of the bias against them. They were beating each other up. That's Pete Futek. I'm Nick Shepkowski. That's our Power 5. It's how we end each and every episode. We will be back later on this week to preview not the best slate of games, but I guess, as always, you get to the end of September, you get to the start of October. Everything's at least compelling and interesting, even if the hype train doesn't so much surround it. For Pete Futek, I'm Nick Shepkowski. This is the College Football News Podcast.